0: Today's guest is from the United Kingdom. He works at Quorum. As a senior developer, he was first awarded as MVP in 2023. He is a LinkedIn learning instructor, amazing Power Apps community super user, public speaker, blogger, and mentor. He's a full-stack senior software developer and architect with over 20 years' experience, mostly using the Power Platform Azure and .NET. You can find links to his bio and social media, etc., in the show notes for this episode, and anything we discuss that there's a hyperlink for, we will make sure we're included there. Welcome to the show, Keith.
1: Thanks, Mark. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Great to have you on the show. I always you know, like to start with getting to know you from a background perspective rather than a technology perspective. So tell us about a bit about food, family, and fun, what they mean to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, great questions. Um, I think uh, we're well, starting with the food. I like lots of different kinds of food. Um, yeah, I, I was out last night. That was a really good meal. Uh, I like Italian food. In fact, there's so many, I can't really name them. I, I just enjoy it maybe a bit too much as well. But, yep, yeah, I love my food. Uh, in terms of fun, I like to do drawing and painting and other creative pursuits as well outside. So it's, it feels like a real break from the tech. Uh, Apart from a few years ago, I did combine it with some game development. So that was a nice way of bringing the tech with the creative. So that was, that was good fun. A little known fact, I have illustrated a business book, which is on Amazon as well. and in terms of family, uh, I've got family uh, in England and Scotland as well. I'm originally from England myself, hence this accent, uh, but I've moved around a bit and I've got family throughout the UK. Uh, some are close by, some not so much. I need to fly or or do a seven-hour drive to see them.
0: Tell us a bit uh, about that book you illustrated.
1: Yeah, sure. So the book is called Embrace the Space. Uh, the two authors, I didn't author it, I just did the illustration. Uh, but the authors are experts in their field. Uh, they do uh, training courses for SEO and social media training. Um, I was on one of their courses a while ago when I ran my own business. Uh, I stayed in touch with them. And they actually like the style of my my artwork, which uh, I publish on Instagram now and again, and I do Inktober and a few other ventures when I get time. Uh, so they approached me, said, "Well, we really love this style. We're thinking of writing a book. Uh, would you be on board in, in, you know, collaborating with us and providing the illustration?" So I was really flattered. Uh, it was a, it was a great it was a great way to kind of spend my time. It was during the pandemic. So we couldn't really go far afield, couldn't leave the house or go too far away. So it was a great way I could kind of spend the time I had the time available uh, to do something like that. So yeah, it was great fun, something totally different. Did you did you do
0: the drawing, the illustrations, etc., on paper and then scan them in, or did you do them straight into like a tablet device um, and ink them there? How, how did it, how, what's your process?
1: That's a great question. The work I did on uh, Inktober and a few other things before has always been quite analog. It has actually been pen on paper or paints on paper or canvas. And I did start doing that with the book. But the client, even though the client was great, there were a few mind changes here and there. And, you know, could we change that or change the size of this or tweak that? So there was so much rework that I actually then invested in a tablet. And there's an undo button. It's great. Uh, So it was really easy just to make those adjustments, you know, resize things, crop things out of the picture. I'd actually got a a real, uh, you know, really hooked on using the tablet. It it was so easy to use. You could change things easily. Um, So, yeah, it kind of converted me to using using a tablet, which I use to this day.
0: Nice, nice. So when you say tablet, is that like a Wacom or is that more like on an iOS um, tablet?
1: Yeah, I actually uh, invested in a Wacom. Uh, I did have uh, just a graphics tablet before. There was no display on the tablet and I found there was a bit of a disconnect. It wasn't too natural for me. Uh, again, I'm used to pen on paper. I, I can see where the pen goes. So I did invest in, in a Wacom with a display on the screen. Uh, and since then, I've actually uh, acquired a, a A surface tablet as well so again i bought a stylus it's a bit more portable so that's something i can take with me when i travel as well
0: nice nice interesting very interesting how did you get into tech
1: yeah a good question as well Uh, i don't have a computer science degree or an it degree um, as many others don't as well so when i was younger and i went to college and then university in england to be honest i wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do with uh, with my career i was still figuring things out but i knew i liked problem solving uh, and technical questions and technical challenges so when i went to university i decided on physics it's something i found interesting so lots of big challenges lots of maths uh, it's quite an interesting thing you can really dig into so I did a physics degree uh, towards the end. I, I did quite well. Um, I was offered a, a PhD placement, or to consider one at least. But I knew by that stage, that's not what I wanted to do for a career. Um, and there was actually an artificial intelligence module on the degree, and that involved some C++ coding. And it's something that I really took to. And it came back to that creative side of me where if I put these few commands into the script and ran it, it made the computer do stuff. You know, it could make sounds, it could change graphics, and I kind of really got a feel for it. I thought this this is so much fun. I did a bit more research into uh, you know job prospects, what, what the industry was like, and so on. Again, this was like a million years ago, um, but it really sounded interesting. So I managed to uh, join a consultancy based in London for my first job, and that was a company that if I was to get a, a good grade in any technical subject... They would actually put me on training courses and skill me up, Um, and they did that. They stuck to their word. It was a great start for my career, Uh, and I I managed to learn, you know, learn on the job as well as take a couple of courses uh, through that employer to help me get started. Very
0: cool. Very cool. And of course, it's gone full loop because did did I read correctly that you've created training on LinkedIn Learning?
1: Yes. Yes, that's true. So I do have one course on there which was published uh, last November which was a Microsoft certification prep for the uh, Data Platform Fundamentals DP900. So I did uh, one of four parts for that course. Um, I'm currently recording uh, my second LinkedIn learning course, which uh, I think we're aiming maybe October onwards for, for release, but that's going really well at the moment. In fact, I was recording just before this call.
0: Wow. Well, is that on Fabric?
1: Um, it's not on fabric. It's power platform related.
0: Okay. Okay. What's your, um, just to get into the details there, because I've noticed a massive uptick since, you know, lynda.com was purchased by LinkedIn and it's gone through a journey and you, I started my career in it was back in the web design days, the internet just coming out and lynda.com boomed, right? Because it taught you Photoshop, illustrator skills, everything, web. And, of course, LinkedIn Learning acquired it. And then what I've particularly seen, I suppose, in the last two years is a massive uptick of Microsoft-related training courses starting to appear on LinkedIn Learning. And, of course, as MVPs, we get full access to all LinkedIn Learning as part of our benefit package. Tell me um, the economics of it, as in because, you know, I've looked at... Um, creating content for your demi. I've, I've, I've looked at a, a range of platforms and I've delivered my own e learning courses um, on platform. What's uh, from, a, and, and the, I, I suppose the other reference I have is Pluralsight, right? Which is another big training platform being around for a long time. And you get paid, you know, based on watch time. Is that the same type of scenario with LinkedIn Learning? Is it based on? Somebody completing the course, starting the course, amount of minutes they're on the course. What's their financial model for trainers?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. There's so many models out there. Like you say, there's Skillshare, Udemy, uh, Pluralsight, and so on. So many great platforms too. Um, I was a fan of LinkedIn Learning for a few years before becoming an instructor. Um, It was one of those that a few years ago, the short version of this was I was looking for a new job I thought I'll invest in LinkedIn premium and it just so happened to get me LinkedIn learning as, you know, part of the package. And then, you know, being a lifelong learner, like many of us are in tech, I was like, oh, cool. I want to learn about this, you know, GRPC. I want to learn about this and that and this. And I kind of got hooked and just even after doing the, the job search and moving on, I just kept it going because I just love learning a new thing every week. And that was, that was my goal. I was like, well, even if it's a small thing or an, an hours long course, people have put effort into making these courses. I'll pick up a new thing, whether I use it in the day job or as a side hustle or just never use it again, I've learned something cool, right? Um, so yeah, after a period of time, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Gregor Sutty, who's uh, also an MVP, actually an Azure MVP, I noticed that he published a, a LinkedIn learning course. So I did ask him about that, asked him about the process. Uh, he was very positive about it as, as with many instructors with the platform are. So I had a few introductory calls. They explained uh, the way the monetization works there for instructors is it's uh, royalties based on views. Now, it's not on how long someone views the course. I think there's a period of time in it classes as a unique user has viewed the course. But, you know, whether, whether it's a few minutes or whether they see the whole course, there is a level. I forget what it is now. There's a level of you've had a view on the course and then a royalty is calculated. Uh, And then you do get statements and things to, you know, show that monetization.
0: And for the effort, you know, I've worked on a model. I generally take 12 hours to produce one hour um, of content, you know, uh, uh, from a process perspective. What do do you find?
1: Yeah, you know, that's – called me out because i probably should measure it better than i do but it feels in that ballpark of it's it's somewhere eight to ten hours maybe more because as you say you've got the writing that's draft one you'll get feedback there's tweaks uh you do recording there'll be pickups i fluff that i need to redo this part i need to leave notes for the editor this 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 so yeah you're exactly right The, the amount of effort goes in The first course I did was a learning experience to see, well, would I enjoy it? Would I want to redo it again? And it was such a great experience and it was so good to work with that, yeah, I took a break from it just to take a breather. Another course opportunity came up, we discussed, that, you know, fell within my main core skill set, Power Platform related. And then we went ahead, discussed it, what kind of course we were looking for. And then, um, yeah, we just started on this second one. But I think you're right. I should maybe uh, record things uh, a bit more detailed to see how worth it it is. Um, but I think with the first course, you know, you might get a long tail. You might get some consistent, uh, you know, monthly revenue by it. Um, some platforms as well do provide advances on royalties as well. So I, I guess it depends on the platform
0: in doing that learning do you go into a a studio that is provided by linkedin or you know the recording because i've seen it done multiple ways what what is that process for you the actual recording piece
1: yeah that's quite an interesting one because before the pandemic i believe that many of the instructors were actually traveling in to the studio in the soundstage based in California would do the recording there now I don't know if that's for worldwide instructors or maybe North America based I'm not quite sure what the process was because I joined during the pandemic that wasn't an option so this won't be great radio for folks but there's actually a remote audio recording kit I've got right here in a big flight case so they provide the adapter, uh, the headset, and, and everything that you need to do the recording with really good instructions on the process to do that recording. So for the first and this second course that I'm doing, uh, it is using this remote process. I'll submit the files. We'll have feedback back and forth. But who knows? Maybe in future I'll, I'll, I'll get a flight to California and, <laughs> and uh, enjoy that sunshine again. Who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same if you do work for Microsoft. You know, they have full recording studios set up Um, for that type of work um are you on camera much or is it totally pretty much off camera um you talked about audio there but not video
1: yeah that's true so both the first course and the second course uh they're all going to be audio Uh, there's going to be screenshots with demos and a few slides as well good balance between the two um I won't be on camera uh, for this one, and I wasn't in the previous one as well. There will be uh, an instructor photo, just a slide, say, "Hey, I'm Keith Atherton, Microsoft MVP." But um, no, in this course, there's no there's no actual me on the camera. But maybe in future, with the sound stage, it may be a bit more personable with me on the camera, you know, and kind of a few gestures, a few screenshots like that.
0: This is the show me the money question. Is it <laughs> is it uh, is it worth your while? Like, I, I and I, I'll, I'll preface this with I talk to a lot of people that write books and, and I'm talking tech books. And I don't see anybody retiring on the authoring of tech books, right? It's, it's a, a massive body of work. You create a tome of, of something that's obsolete in 18 months' time because of the speed of change, you know, in tech. And um, I had one friend that, that wrote a book maybe 15 years ago now in, when we started our careers in Microsoft Business Applications. And for the entire history of that book, and it was really a, a book in its time, I think he was lucky if he made $15,000 ever. Um, and, you know, and that was a really, it was the go-to book for so such a massive period of time in the um, Dynamics 365 CRM space. What's your perception?
1: I think that's a really fair comment because I've heard similar stories before, particularly with books, or some people who've gone through that process of the book has been very heavy going and said, I'm glad I've done the one, but I wouldn't do one again. Or I have done one and I'll, I'll do all this in future, but I did look into this, uh, maybe this is book related too, but I looked into this before if you know, uh, self, self-publishing Self versus going with some like, you know, A-Press or Pact or someone. And again, you know, monetization may play a factor versus having the full control over the end result. You know, you're, you're the producer, essentially. I would say with the LinkedIn Learning course, it maybe depends on is the course trending? Is it the hot thing? Are you the expert in your field? Are you world-renowned in that field? And I'm sure if you develop a good number of courses out there, it could maybe build up the revenue to make it really, really worth your while. But maybe that's playing the long game and having several courses. So for me, right now, it's not intended to replace the day job. It certainly won't anytime soon. But it's something I've enjoyed the process, and I would say the income is worth it. I would say
0: good. Um, that's a good take. As in, I've just seen a course done by a, a guy just on how to use, how to use LinkedIn right? That's like pretty straightforward. How do you set up your LinkedIn profile? That type of thing. Last year he made $4 million off that course. Wow. Right. That's uh, all done in his own home studio. Just phenomenal. So if you, I suppose if you get the right book topic, right. And the right trending, because I feel like 4 million a year, you could, you could retire on that. That's uh, you know, yeah.
1: Give
0: it a few years, yeah, I think that could work out, yeah. Yeah, I reckon. So, yeah, so one of the the things, and I'll just uh, a tidbit here, that he does really well is in the middle of his course, he goes through writing a review process of the course, and he has over 14,000 five-star reviews.
1: Wow, that's impressive.
0: And the course costs $140. So it's not like it's a expensive course. Do
1: you know, is this self-published? Oh, yeah. Is this, is this based on Udemy or somewhere else or his own website? No, all like, self-published,
0: self-published. Like... You'd, you'd, I don't think you'd make that type of coin on Udemy. as in, Udemy is such a, a shopping mall of, I mean, I know LinkedIn is to a degree as well, but I feel that Udemy is a next level of, you know, my concern was selling in a shopping mall, right? Let's say I'm a jeweler. The problem is there's five other jewelers in the same shopping mall, right? I attract the one in with my advertising, and they go to the other one because the window display looked better. You know, on the day, it's like yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah the trade-offs I suppose that you make. Tell me your about your power platform journey. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, that's that's been in recent years for me. Um, so for most of my career, it's been mostly Microsoft tech stack, uh, but it has been varied. So my first job was actually a consultancy where we we chose the tech stack depending on the customer, if they had something already, or we just chose the best fit. So my first job was actually Java with Oracle. And I've just kind of moved around, but mostly uh, .NET and the Microsoft stack. Power Platform's really been full on uh, in the last two years. So uh, I'd say, yeah, two years has been really consistent week in, week out using Power Platform, using different features, but being able to bring my pro code experience to that as well. So we need things, you know, in, in C Sharp, we need plugins, we need some things that maybe have quite intense PowerFX coding involved. That's where I can bring my skill set and add a bit more value. Um, so, yeah, it's been something I've really enjoyed and really taken to as well, more than I expected I would, to be honest. Um, I think when I saw the the Excel-like formula language of PowerFX, after moving from you know, uh, languages with the power of, you know, OO and being able to use solid and other design patterns, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to get a bit restricted here. Um, But actually the more I've learned, the more I've been impressed and been able to use those skills. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed it.
0: That's interesting because, you know, if you look at PowerFX, I think it only makes up a very small percentage of the formulas available in Excel, my understanding. And that would be my, my thought, would it, is there a limitation? And it's interesting, you as a pro code developer have just said that it's um, you, you're not hitting those limitations, which I find that's very positive. What's, what's missing in your mind? What would you like to see be added to PowerFx?
1: You know, there's a few things that came about recently. And again, as you know, you know as you all know, as, a, as an MVP, we can get access to the product teams. You know, we, we can pester them for new features or complain about things that don't work quite as we'd like. Um, that can be useful. And there are things that I really would like, you know, improve, again, being a code-first developer and have been for many years. Improvements to that code editor. You know, again, I've been spoiled with Visual Studio and Visual Studio Code. You can do so much. You can build your own extensions. You've got menus with tons of options. So I'd really love, and I'm sure this will happen, that that Power Apps formula and and coding studio will evolve over time. More features. Can we build our own extensions or plugins? Can can we extend it in further ways? It's open source, though, right? PowerFix is open source, isn't it? I believe the language... Uh, of power is but it's a good point actually the studio experience itself you know within the browser and there are some developments coming you you can move the code pane you can maximize it you you can get more screen real estate and so on i think one thing is just that studio experience or whether you could use an an existing uh, ide that 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 could be could be an option potentially yeah
0: so you're saying access it via visual studio as such
1: that would be nice. Yeah, that would that would be really nice. Again, the full power, the breakpoints, the, all the extra snippets and things you could do. That would be really nice. But also, and I, this might go against the grain of PowerFX being the type of language it is, but extending it with ProCode features. Again, I'm used to things like inheritance, polymorphism, and things that I know it's not really designed to do that, but if you did have the option to be able to take it to that level, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't need to then spin up something extra using Pro Code or a plugin or something to do complex work. So, again, I'm probably asking for too much there.
0: No, no, keep asking, Keith. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Before you go, we off here. We talked about you've you've got a podcast going. I want to make sure we get that in the show notes. Tell us a bit about your podcast who's the audience, what's it called, and where can they find it?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark. So uh, just fairly recently, the last few months, uh, me and a couple of friends, uh, Gregor Sutty, who's an Azure MVP, and Matt Boyd, uh, the three of us have started a podcast called On Air in the Cloud. Um, We've interviewed two people so far, uh, Mark Ducker and Lisa Hoving, both happen to be MVPs. Uh, and we've got plenty more guests lined up as well. And it's just great fun speaking to people who use technology in interesting ways.
0: I love it. Where can people find it? Is it is it on iTunes, Spotify, all the different channels? Have you ever have, have you published out there?
1: Yeah, there's a website, onairinthecloud.com. There's a Twitter channel as well. Uh, But yeah, I believe some of these services, uh, they're actually picking up on the feeds right now. So just recently, uh, I use Android. I've got Power Addict. And it's just recently appeared in the last week or so for me. So hopefully you can find it.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, business application MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365Guy. If you like the show and want to be a supporter, check out buymeacoffee.com forward slash nz365guy. Thanks again and see you next time.